guys. I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value the show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. If you donate as little as $1 a month, that's less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to members-only episodes and other prizes. But prizes aside, you also get to walk away with the satisfaction of knowing that you're directly helping to sustain the output of this show. Every little bit adds up, so if you're so inclined, go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. Or just go to my website, wordsforgranted.com, and you can link from there. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that Words for Granted has been invited to be part of an upcoming educational podcast network called Blank for Non-Blank. Blank for Non-Blank is a community of podcasters that seeks to present specialized topics to non-specialized audiences, like linguistics podcasts for non-linguists, science podcasts for non-scientists, math podcasts for non-mathematicians. You get the idea. You can check out the website at blankfornonblank.com. There is not a whole lot of content up there yet, but this weekend, several podcasters, including yours truly, will be recording a group episode in which we'll be discussing the nature of learning from a variety of perspectives. This won't be the last time I mention Blank for Non-Blank, so if you don't get a chance to check it out right now, you'll get more reminders in the future. Okay, on to today's episode. If you were about to learn a foreign language, what do you think are the first few things that you would learn? You'd probably start off with a couple of stock phrases such as, my name is blank and I am blank years old. And then after learning the subject pronouns and a couple of verbs and their conjugations, my guess is that you would learn how to count to 10 and then the days of the week. As the title of this episode suggests, today we'll be discussing the history of the days of the week. As I've just pointed out, the days of the week are part of the core vocabulary of not just English, but any language. However, the history of the days of the week, or more accurately, the history of their names, is often the product of dead and ancient mythologies. Indeed, the days of the week in English are rooted in dead and ancient mythologies, but because of the very fact that these mythologies are dead and ancient, they no longer have significance to us on a daily basis. No pun intended. Consequently, the literal meaning of each day's name has been lost to time. Today, the English names for the days of the week have no literal meanings. Monday doesn't mean the first day of the work week, nor has it ever. Monday is indeed the first day of the work week, so you could argue that in a sense that is its meaning, but from a linguistic point of view, this meaning only arises from association, not from the root of the word itself. It should come as no surprise to you that the word Monday long predates the invention of the modern concept of the work week by over a millennium. However, the invention of the week itself, 
that is the construct by which 24-hour segments of time are organized into a seven-part cycle that repeats again and again and again, long predates the word Monday, and for that matter, the English language itself. In this introductory episode to our mini-series on the days of the week, I'm going to cover the general history of the seven-day week. At face value, this may not seem like a language-oriented topic, but it's a necessary prologue to the language-oriented episodes to come. About halfway through this episode, we will get into some more blatant linguistic territory, so if that's all you're interested in, just hang in there for a few minutes. Though the seven-day week was first conceptualized in ancient Mesopotamia, in order to keep things concise and on target, I'm only going to cover history that's relevant to English etymology. With that said, today's story begins in a place that's familiar to the regular listeners of this podcast. That place is ancient Rome, except today's story begins in very ancient Rome. We're talking about Rome before the Empire, and even Rome before the Republic. We're talking about the first historically significant incarnation of Rome, the relatively humble Roman Kingdom. The Roman Kingdom used an ancient calendar that had an eight-day week instead of a seven-day week. The days in this eight-day week were simply named A through H, the first eight letters of the Latin alphabet. The modern English alphabet is really just a modified Latin alphabet, so it's no coincidence that these are the first eight letters of the English alphabet as well. This early Roman calendar also differed from the calendar we use today because it had a 10-month year as opposed to a 12-month year. The 10-month year actually began with the month of March, and the 50 or so remaining days of the year were relegated to an unorganized, monthless winter season. Eventually, the winter season was divided into the months of January and February, but even with these additions, the mathematical layout of the ancient Roman calendar year was still a ways off from our own. You see, its months were based on a lunar cycle that was 29 and a half days long and a synodic year that was 12 and a half months long. For the non-astronomers among us, a lunar cycle is the amount of time it takes for the moon to fully orbit the Earth, and the synodic year is the time it takes for the Earth to realign with the sun. Given the original Roman calendar, these two cycles would align every four years, but only with the addition of an extra month every other year. This extra month, called Mercedonius, which literally translates as work month, was needed in order to keep the months in step with the passing of seasons. You can think of it as a more drastic version of a leap day. It's an entire leap month that occurred between February and March. The placement of leap days at the end of February on our modern calendar is influenced by the fact that this is when Mercedonius used to take place. However convoluted it may seem to us, this Roman system of timekeeping does work in theory. But here's the thing. It only works if Mercedonius is faithfully inserted into the calendar on a regular calculated basis, and that didn't always happen. The Pontifex Maximus, or High Priest of Rome, 
was in charge of the calendar, and the Pontifex Maximus sometimes called off the month of Mercedonius for his own political gains. The manipulation of the calendar could keep the high priest's political friends in office for longer, or his enemies in office for shorter. It could also be used to prolong or cut off election seasons. I think you get the idea. As a consequence, it could be impossible to predict the precise date of a particular day in advance, which is quite the inconvenience if you're trying to run an empire. If Mercedonius was tampered with too many years in a row, then the months of the year could actually fall out of sync with the usual seasons. During the first century BCE, the month of Mercedonius was eliminated by Julius Caesar. In fact, he replaced the entire Roman calendar with a system aptly known as the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar looks much more like the calendar we use today. The weeks have seven days, the years have 12 months, but, however, the Julian calendar isn't exactly our modern calendar. Our modern calendar is called the Gregorian calendar, which was invented in the 16th century. It's a descendant and modification of the Julian calendar, but it's a distinction worth making. If all of this talk of calendar history seems tangential to the etymology of the days of the week, keep in mind that it's ultimately because of the inefficiency of the original Roman calendar that the Julian calendar was introduced, and I wanted to give you sufficient historical context to understand it. The Julian calendar reform not only changed the number of days in the week, but it also changed the names of the days in the week. Instead of a mere letter assignment, the days of the week now had proper names. These changes didn't happen immediately, but by the 3rd century CE, we have the earliest evidence of this new nomenclature. Quite amazingly, I think, A portion of graffiti unearthed in the buried city of Pompeii refers to February 6th, 60 AD as Dies Solis. In Latin, Dies Solis literally means Day of the Sun, or the Sun's Day. Today, in modern English, we call this day Sunday. If you've ever wanted an argument in support of public graffiti, well, here it is. Thanks to some unassuming Roman who decided to write the date on a wall nearly 2,000 years ago, we have a better idea regarding the time period during which the Latin cognates for the days of the week in the modern Romance languages were first used. Now, I'm not going to go into the names of each day of the Julian calendar week now, because I'll be doing that in the remaining episodes of this mini-series. But here's a general overview to get you prepared. Each of the days of the week was named after the planets of Hellenistic astrology, and each of these Hellenistic planets was named after a Hellenistic deity. As most of you probably know, Hellenism is the term used to describe all things classical Greece. These Greek deities all had Roman equivalents, so the Romans simply translated the names of these planets by identifying them with their own corresponding deities. This process of identifying foreign deities with the Roman religion was known in Latin as interpretatio romana. Let's briefly look at how an example of this works. The Greek moon goddess was called Selenes. 
The Romans translated Selenes as Luna, which was the name of their moon goddess, which in turn produced Luna Dies, the Latin word for Monday. Now, if you're really sharp, you will have noticed that Monday sounds a lot like Moon Day, and since the Latin word for Monday is named after a moon goddess, this may not be a coincidence. Well, it's not a coincidence, but I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger for now. We'll be exploring this very connection in the next episode. I'd like to parenthetically note here that the names of the days in ancient Greek were not named after the planets. They were simply called first day, second day, and so on. And this is still the case in modern Greek, with the exception of Sunday. There is evidence that some circles of ancient Greeks use planetary names for days of the week, but these names never caught on in a big way. Okay, so let's move forward on the historical timeline. During the 4th century BCE, the Roman Empire was Christianized. Many of its pagan rituals began to fade into the distant past, yet somehow the names of the pagan deities survived in the days of the week. Not only did the names of the pagan deities survive, but they even outlived Latin itself. As I've already alluded to, the pagan gods of ancient Rome are alive and well in the days of the week in all of the modern Romance languages, with the interesting exception of Portuguese. I'll be covering that story in the next members-only bonus episode available on Patreon. It should be available by the end of this week, so if you want access to that, you know what to do. Patreon.com slash words for granted. Anyway, as we saw in the comparison between the Latin word luna dies and the English word Monday, the days of the week in Latin and English don't sound a whole lot like each other. Based on this fact, it's not surprising that the Romance language cognates of the Latin days of the week don't sound a whole lot like their English counterparts either. The Romance languages, of course, are the direct descendants of Latin. Let's compare the Italian lunedi, the Spanish lunes, and the French lundi with the English Monday. One of these is not like the other. Yet, the names for the days of the week in English are in fact modeled after the planetary gods contained in the Julian calendar. How is this possible since they sound so different? Well, note the way I phrased that statement. The names of the English days of the week are modeled on the planetary gods in the Julian calendar. I did not say that they were linguistically derived from them. To understand this distinction, let's again turn to history. English is not a Romance language. It's a Germanic language. What this means is that it shares a common linguistic ancestor with the other Germanic languages. The modern Germanic languages include German, Dutch, Norwegian, Swedish, Danish, and Icelandic. If we're not intimately familiar with the history of English, it can be easy to overlook the fundamental Germanic roots of the English language. Modern English has been shaped by the influence of non-Germanic languages, mostly Latin and French, but in spite of this, there are many subtle and many not-so-subtle features of English that preserve its Germanic linguistic heritage. The English days of the week are one of these not-so-subtle features. Now, 
Not only does English have a Germanic linguistic heritage, but the original speakers of English, that is, the Anglo-Saxons who migrated from continental Europe to Britain during the 5th century CE, came from a Germanic cultural heritage. Like the Romans before their Christianization, the Germanic tribes had a polytheistic pantheon of pagan gods. The most familiar versions of these gods to the modern world are contained within Norse mythology. However, I should note that Norse mythology as we know it today is a much later development than the Germanic pantheon we're talking about right now. Anyway, when the Germanic tribes adapted the Julian calendar sometime between the years of 200 and 600 CE, they substituted native Germanic deities in place of the Roman ones. In the upcoming episodes, we'll look at each of these substitutions in greater detail. The process of identifying Germanic deities with Roman deities is known as interpretatio germanica, which is Latin for Germanic interpretation. So how exactly can we identify this very broad window of time during which the Germanic tribes adapted the Julian calendar? Well, we know it had to happen before the Germanic tribes, particularly the West Germanic tribes, were Christianized. 600 CE is an approximate date at which this would have happened. The reason for this parameter is obvious. The Roman deities were translated as pre-Christian Germanic deities. Okay, now how do we know it had to happen after 200 CE? The answer to this is a little more complex. In the history of the Germanic languages, the period between 500 BCE and 200 CE is known as the Common Germanic or Proto-Germanic period. At this point, there was a single Germanic language. It hadn't yet fractured into distinct, unintelligible languages through the process of tribal migrations. Therefore, if the Germanic tribes had adapted the Julian calendar before 200 BCE, then the days of the week in all the modern Germanic languages would derive from a mutually shared Proto-Germanic word stock. But this is not the case. Linguists believe that the Roman days of the week were translated into the West Germanic languages first, and then from the West Germanic languages into the North Germanic languages. Even without getting into the linguistic evidence of this, this should make intuitive sense. The North Germanic tribes were farther away from the borders of the Roman Empire than the Western Germanic tribes. For those of you who aren't caught up to speed on this discussion of Germanic languages, I should perhaps not so obviously point out that neither West Germanic nor North Germanic still exists today. West Germanic broke off into English, German, and Dutch, most prominently, and North Germanic broke off into Danish, Swedish, and Norwegian. Alright, so there's the story of how the model of the Julian calendar made its way into English. I didn't get into as much etymology as I usually do on this show, so before I say goodbye, without giving you any spoilers for the upcoming episodes, let me give you two quick etymologies to chew on. The first one is day. Day is a native English word. It derives from the Old English word dag, which indeed meant day, but it also meant lifetime. By the Middle English period, the terminal G sound was dropped. 
Going further back in time, the Old English dag derives from the Proto-Germanic word dagas, which is the root word for day in all the modern Germanic languages. If you've ever been to Germany, you've probably heard the expression guten tag, which means good day. Well, day and tag are in fact cognates, both deriving from the same Proto-Germanic root word dagas. You'll note that the German word tag preserves the hard G sound originally found in the Old English word dag. By the Middle English period, the pronunciation of that hard G sound in dag began to fade. The second etymology I'd like to touch upon is weak. Weak is also a native English word. According to the written record, it had various pronunciations in both Old English and Middle English. Wuku and wike are two common forms of the word, but it's attested with a wide variety of different vowel sounds. It's believed to derive from the Proto-Germanic word wikon, which meant something like a sequence, succession, or change. Before the introduction of the Roman concept of the weak, the word retained this general sense. The Old English verb wikon, meaning to yield or change direction, is cognate with weak, and it gives us a glimpse into this more general usage. Okay, that's it for this one, guys. I really, really loved researching this topic, and I hope you enjoyed learning about it too. I'm pumped for the upcoming episodes. I'd like to remind you once more that I'm releasing the next bonus episode within the week, and it's about the unusual names of the days of the week in Portuguese. If you want to gain access to that while supporting the show, patreon.com slash wordsforgranted is your ticket. If you can't contribute, then no problem. You can still support the show by leaving a review on iTunes. Positive reviews are the number one way of growing this show's audience. It may take a second or two of your time, but it will help the show grow immensely. If you have any questions or concerns, email me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. And please, let me know if you'd like me to expand this topic to include the months of the year. Okay, see you next time here at Words for Granted. Oh,